This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Ewa Messer. I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and I am so happy to see these two dudes on the screen. And oh, right, now we're doing video. Jason Reynolds and Jason Griffin have created a couple of really amazing books. Uh, one came out earlier in 22 called Ain't Burned All the Bright. And the newest one is actually a revisited project, but we'll get there in a second. It's called My Name is Jason, Mine Too. So would each of you sort of separately say hello so we can have, and say your name too, so we have listeners who can key in on your voices? Of course, of course. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Reynolds. And I'm Jason Griffin. I feel like our voices sound so similar. <laughs> a little bit. I was just about to say, maybe I could talk like this. Just for <laughs> You know what? We'll figure it out. We'll totally figure it out. But it just speaks to the depth of your collaboration, though. You guys were college roommates. You've been working together for a million years. I mean, this book, the new book was published first in 2009 when you first got to New York. Should I admit that it was Brooklyn? I mean, Brooklyn does have more cachet than New York these days, but, you know. It's <laughs> not. Bed-Sty. Okay, bed So awesome. you're you're mm. living in bed eating a lot of tuna. Mm. Eating a lot of tuna <laughs> and a lot of ramen. And Cheerios. Okay. Deciding between paying the heat and eating. Mm-hmm. For sure. Which is a wild way to be making art. I mean, Jason, you are a poet and a writer, and the visual arts are not necessarily the first thing we think of when we think of you. And Jason Griffin... We're going to get to your audiobooks thing in a minute, but yeah, you're a reader, but the visual arts are really what drive you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a collaboration that comes straight out of a deep-seated friendship or what, ha- how did that oh, book come about in the first place? I'll take you back to the first time I saw this guy. I saw him at University of Maryland, Black Student Union talent show, and he was performing spoken word. And I'd heard through the grapevine that there was this guy up there spitting this poetry and he was only 15. And that really kind of like shocked me. I was like, but wait, is he in college or is he like visiting from a high school? He killed it. He brought the house down. Uh, Even at 15, he has the presence and kind of I got to know him. And he has this feeling of like a grown man at 15 uh, and the wisdom of one as well. So I went up to him after the show uh, in the dining hall, grabbing some eats and uh, just introduced myself. I saw him sitting at the table, you know, struck up conversation. And I, you know, I have my ways of making intros. And I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I saw you perform and uh, I really like your hat. It's dope. And uh, it was like this crocheted kind of beanie, uh, something you would see like Andre 3000 wear. And he was like, I made it. And I'll, and then I sat down. I was like, OK, I, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, I sat down next to him and we picked up like we picked up like old souls. You know, it was like we had known each other for lifetimes, plural. Uh, and we were just we were just chatting and getting to know each other. I could even fast forward from there. It was like, you know, we had already known each other and, and we decided I was a little bit older and I had some rank and we were assigned dorms and there was one building that had AC and that was like a luxury. And I asked him if he wanted to be my roommate the following year. And then we started rooming together. And from there it was like, I would go to his poetry events, his poetry slams. 
Um, and he would come to the arts. He would help me schlep art supplies to the art social building late at night. And he would just sit there and chill with me while I paint. So it was like this camaraderie early on and recognizing like, not only do I think you're really cool, but you're also incredibly talented. And we just, yeah, just kind of hit it off. It was interesting though, right? Because like, like the other part of that story, right? From my perspective is that there's this dude on campus that I saw, right? I'm a young dude, I'm a freshman. I just got to the campus. And so when you just get to university, and by the way, we're talking about a 40,000 student school, right? We're talking about a massive institution. Mm -hmm. And so there are these rumblings around the campus when I first get there about this white boy who dresses better than everybody. And he, right, there's like this thing, there's like this, this myth around. And this is true. He doesn't like when I tell him, see, he, he gets to tell his part of my story, but he doesn't like when I tell the part about, about him. And so what's happening at this time is that there's this strange sort of legend around him. Even though he, we're teenagers, right? But there's this strange legend around this red-haired white dude who sort of is is dressed different than everyone else. I mean, he was wearing like suits, yo, and like he's moving. He had all his hair. He's moving a different way. He's he's he. All the girls like him. All the guys like him, right? One of these one of these sort of people. Um, you know, we all know those people that the, the magnets, you know. And so when I meet him and I, I and I realize that he's the guy that everybody's talking about, everything about him was true except for the stereotype of the asshole. Right. Because usually when you hear about those. Right. Because usually when you hear about those kinds of people, what's attached to them is also when you meet them, you're like, oh, he's he also believes this. He believes this hype. Right. When we started living together, the other thing about him is that he was a business major. So, yes, he's this like genius artist. But I didn't know that at the time. Because Jason was a business major. It wasn't until like I started seeing the scrapbooks, I started seeing, right? And our friendship continues to sort of grow. And I'm realizing like, oh, this dude actually has a whole secret life that I'm not sure everyone is aware of because he's spending his late nights in the art in the art studio. He had like an honors art studio, which is something, I think there were like eight of them that, that people got like, you know, it was a very rare- Good memory, studio. man. Good memory. Yeah, it was a, they only gave eight people these things. And he wasn't even an art major. First time but in he, history, <laughs> but, but he but he got it. But he got an honors. I mean, but he got this fancy sort of studio and this access to the to the art um to to the art department. So I spent some time with him in there, and 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 that's how it started to sort of gel. It was like, okay, this dude actually has. There's a whole other part of him that he's not necessarily that he's studying, but he's not majoring in. And it was in the midst of our conversation while living together that I think we both were transforming into who it is that we were becoming because we both had mirrors for for finally we, each of us had a mirror. You know what I mean? He and, and I could see myself in him. He could see himself in me. And it was mm. then that we decided that one day we would make a book together. We said it cavalierly, right? We were going to make a book together. And a few years later, we started to make that book before My Name is Jason, by the way. There's, there's a book that comes before that book. There's a great photo, actually, in My Name is Jason, mine too. And Jason Griffin, you're wearing an ascot. And I started to mm. laugh mm. so hard <laughs> when I saw that photo because my dad mm -hmm. used to wear ascots unironically because it was the stuff. It was a long time. Love that. But I was laughing. So his was wasn't like, ironic okay. either. He no, really, that was really I understand style. that. <laughs> I do understand that. But it's a great photo. And you both look like babies. <laughs> it's it's yeah. early on in your friendship, but it's such a vibrant photo. And it really does represent the work that you're doing in this book. Mm incredibly mm. well and there's a piece it's called men pretend mm -hmm. on page 33 mm. and i mean just the life that's in every single page and it's the combination obviously of jason's words your art 
But I have to ask, do you have a preferred medium? Like, what were you working on when you were, it looks like a mix of collage and photos and all sorts of stuff, but what trim are we talking? It's such a dope question. So I have to, pun intended, paint you a picture of our apartment Mm -hmm. in Bed-Stuy because, man, we, you know, we moved to New York thinking New York was waiting for us. And uh, (laughs) we learned real quick that uh, it was not. And, you know, funds were definitely tight and there was decisions being made about, you know, spending money on food or subway to get into the city to try to hustle our self-published book or, you know, rent or. And so a lot of the materials that I was using were actually things that I was finding on the on the street. We moved to Bed-Stuy right when right when gentrification started to hit. And so there was a lot of discarded, especially old doors, discarded doors. And so that stands out as as one of the mediums that, you know, or one of the materials that I gravitated for out of necessity. I remember I painted on a checkbook because I never used it. (laughs) Like, I remember taking white primer and just covering a checkbook. I remember painting on receipts, um, old artist journals, It was out of necessity, but I think that I've always been drawn to switching it up and kind of the same way a writer may take a different prompt. My material becomes kind of an an artistic prompt of sorts, uh, something that kind of begins a different conversation, you know, using a, a canvas or a piece of paper over and over and it's either a square or a rectangle. I don't know. I feel like it starts to actually like limit me a little bit. But by default here, I'm using like doors and, you know, scraps. Um, And this stuff is all over our apartment that had like very little furniture. It was in a, in a way, like we had the coolest looking place because it was like super sparse, but there was art everywhere. Our version of the factory is like Warhol's factory. Our version of it was dope. Totally. Totally. So you're starting with the image that Jason creates, you're starting with the words, or does it just depend on the piece? And you sort of say, well, this is what we have and this is where we're going. Nah, so like, this is where, I think this is the one thing that is proprietary when it comes to the two of us. Our process isn't, um, it isn't reactionary. Mm-hmm. Um, what it is, is sort of, everything we make is built, uh, is sort of birthed from our relationship. And our relationship is sort of glued by our, ability to communicate with one another. Right. And so we spend a lot of time just talking and, and thinking about things and, and sort of unfolding ourselves in front of one another. And we've been doing that since we were teenagers. Right. And so in the midst of those conversations, we'll hit on something that we think is, you know, particularly poignant. And then we'll say, okay, so like men pretend, right. Like, okay, well, you know, what is it about men who, why do, why do we posture? Why do we, um, what, what does it mean to even be male or masculine or manly, if that's a thing and, and the sort of strange nature of these things. And, and we're grappling with this as young people. Right. And then we, so we had that conversation and then we go separate ways. Mm-hmm. Right. I make a thing, he makes a thing. And then we come back together and we just, we just kind of like, let's see if there, cause if we, cause if we trust each other and if our relationship is doing what our relationship is supposed to do, then like nine times out of 10, our intuition uh, will lead us to make something that is complementary to each other without us having to say, I'm going to write something and you draw a picture, or I'm going to draw a picture and then you write some words, or I'm going to paint this, right? Like, it's more like, 
We've thought about these things. Let's make our own interpretation of these things and create a dual narrative that will share space and then just by proxy become a singular narrative. And so that's the process. It's more like improvisational jazz. And we're all going to play and we're going to see and we're going to see how this thing fits in just based on uh, having a, having the meter together. We both know the meter and we both know the tone and we're going to go from there. And that's we how it also works. have the emotional truth. And we have the emotional like. truth, which is the glue for all of it. I may at some point be like, okay, Jay, like I'm trying to figure out the ending here and here's the imagery that I'm using. And we may talk about his text, but Jay's never come to me and been like, yo, the that piece, mm, I think you need to rework it. And I, I've never looked at Jay's writing and been like, mm, Jay, you know what? Like there's a hundred percent trust there. And by the way, this is something that's been developed over the course of two decades. And this is what we always try to explain to people like this. We've been doing this, this same thing. And we've done it many, many times. People have only seen it a few times. But there are many, 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 many versions of this tucked away in drawers that no one will ever see of us trying to work out this and, and practice this and, and exercise this particular skill set. And I want to come back to something you said a second ago about trust, because that's not something that men are always given space to talk about. I mean, we have, it seems like the definition of masculinity is beginning to evolve and I mean, we're making more space for fatherhood, for instance. Mm. We're making more space for men to be able to talk about emotional truths and not just walk around with everything bottled up. But that trust piece, and as you said, over decades, mm -hmm. building over decades. But when did you realize that you were willing to share that trust and your experience and your understanding of each other with people outside of the friendship? And make a book. I mean, this is a really public yeah. declaration of art and trust and friendship. My theory is that everyone is searching for permission. I actually don't find it that frightening. I think that human beings are always attracted to, to, to the honesty in other human beings, even if, it, even if it activates an honesty in them that makes them uncomfortable. I think, we, I think we naturally are looking for it because we're looking for validation and permission. I'll tell you a prime example, right? When we were in college, I learned how to crochet when I was a kid, hence that hat that I had on, right? I was taught by one of my mother's friends because I always like I was always a little funky, right? I was always sort of that kid that was, you know, it was like, I, if, if this was the center, I was a little bit to the left, always, right? And when I got to college, um, I had a million of these hats and bags and everything that I'd made. Jason and I hung out with, you know, neighborhood dudes, Right. The kind of cats who uh, they wanted to go to the bar, watch the game. And we did those things because Jason and I are also those guys. Right. At the same time, we were also, mm -hmm. you know, beer and nachos and the football game and right all the things. Right. And over time, these neighborhood dudes all wanted to and did learn how to crochet. And so what we would do is like, and it was the most ridiculous thing to experience in the sea, right? People would come. We always tell a story about how there were these two girls who came and knocked on the dorm room door. I think they were doing a fundraiser for the soccer team or something. And they walk in this Monday nights so was Monday night football. We got nachos, we got beer. And she walks in the room and it's a bunch of dudes in there with crochet needles, just getting busy, watching the game, watching all the like game. This, all like this, like, <laughs> and everyone kind of looks up and she was like, oh, <laughs> She didn't know what to say, man. She lost Yo. all train of thought. Yeah, and it's a wild thing, right? But I think about that moment all the time because what, what we were experiencing was just that like, yo, if we are who we are, everyone will feel comfortable to be who they are. 
and we can lean into it. It's a simple thing. So, so how does it, was, was there ever a moment of discomfort to share some of our emotional truths, even the emotional truth of our friendship with the world? For me, there, it, there wasn't because I, because it's the one thing that I trust more than most other things is that our honesty and vulnerability might free somebody, might give somebody else the opportunity to look at their homeboy and say, I love you, bro, for real, and give them a hug. I grew up with these incredible friends when I was a kid, before I met Jason. But the one thing that Jason did for me was he introduced me to a kind of diversity in, in, in maleness that I did not know. And Jay, please stop me if I'm putting too much of your business in the world. But like one please, thing, go for it. one of our early like hangout sessions, he, he took me to this gay bar, right? Because he was working at a gay bar and he took me to mm-hmm. this gay bar. And I, and this was, this, this was a new experience. You know what I mean? But this was somebody that I trusted who then I, so that then I can then open my, open my world and like find, find my comfort no matter where I was simply because of my respect for humanity. And that's something that he had that I hadn't honestly been exposed to yet. I totally that, forgot that you came through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it oh, was a dope yeah. It was, my, it was and dope. To add to the awesomeness of this story, my mom got me the job. <laughs> Yo, I, got great, I got great tips at that place, man. <laughs> Yo, and, like, and, my, and my dad, so my mom is now married to a woman. And my dad, who is a preacher, he came too. He brought his wife. He brought my stepmom there. They would come just kick it at the bar. Everybody was welcome. So imagine what that's like, right? I'm meeting a dude for the first time who has a parent in a same-sex relationship, which I had not experienced. And his father's a religious man simultaneously. And it all is working. It all seems to be good, right? And I think that alone helped me. Um, it, just, it just added, it added, it gave me access to possibility when it came to just human respect, right? And so it's easy to do this kind of work because we've been doing it for so long. You know what I mean? Absolutely, because there's also a really lovely gentleness to the story. It's just kind of like, well, here we are. It was Tuesday. <laughs> we did a thing. And I think we lose, we lose sight of that when we're, you know, human beings, we're trying to sort of slot things into boxes and, and mm-hmm. process experience and give it a name. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to give something a name. And some things maybe don't need a name. Some things maybe just need to be a response to a beautiful image. Some things, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm really lucky. I get to walk to work. So I see crazy, beautiful things every single day. Love and that. sometimes it's, you know, a leaf on the ground. Sometimes it's a very cute dog in a very expensive coat. It makes me think of, you know, the, the chef, uh, Michael Twitty. Oh, yeah, he's great. He's great. And, you know, on did you see High on the Hog? Jessica Harris's documentary in the whole. No, I need oh, to. It, coming, is, you, it oh, is in my queue. Oh, you told me I to watch that, man. Queue. That was good. <laughs> watch it. Because on, that the, on, the, on the second episode, he's trying to, he's, he's talking about how every single cultural cuisine is named after the culture, except for Black people, mm-hmm. right? Our food is called soul food. It's the only food that is named after something that cannot be seen, but can only be felt. If there was ever a time to call someone a soul brother in the true sense, right? Because even to call someone best is to qualify it. But to say that, like, for the two of us, there, it, it is, it is an, there's an intangible thing. There is an ephemeral, ethereal thing that the two of us know exists that aren't always necessary to put into words, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we knew that 20 years ago. And I think we know, and maybe know more that, know that now more than ever 20 years later. Isn't that also what art is supposed to do for us, though, to, to let us sit in a moment and sit with an idea, whether it's 
music or the printed word or visual art or film, I mean, I sort of feel like that's the whole point is to give us space to experiment. Mm -hmm. And so many people use it to just sort of reinforce where they are in the world and that's it and that's enough and that's done. And it seems to me that both of you really are very intent on capturing change and movement, not Mm. just in the visual imagery, but just in general. And those are difficult concepts to capture well, especially when you're sort of limited to words. And Jason, Mm. you know what I'm talking about when I say limited to words, but you have to make them move. For me, and and perhaps for both of us, I think that the I think our greatest sort of skill set is audacity. And it's so funny the way people sort of negative, negatively connote ego, but I think it's necessary to have some because one has to have a little bit of, I mean, look, when we were 20, 20 years old, mm-hmm. you know, our whole thing, our whole thing was we're going to, we're going to rearrange and change the way people think of the book, right? This is what we were really thinking as teenagers, right? And young adults, it was like, we're going to make a thing to, 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 to completely upend what people think a book can be. That was always the goal, right? The change, the object itself, to re, to, to literally rejigger the object itself um, that is the book, the casing of the book. And so I think I think both of us approach our work thinking about forward movement, thinking about, um, and we know everything's been done, right? We know that, but but we also know that like we have an opportunity to put our our, our stank on even the things that have been done. Right. That we have an opportunity to, I mean, look, Frank O'Hare, right? We we know that like there's been these mashups, right? But we are who we are. And we're willing to sort of push the line and push the boundary um, the best we can to challenge ourselves and to challenge the people who might be the the, the people who look upon this work, right? To say that, like, what is if, if we if if it is possible for us to push possibility, then it's possible for you to believe in it. As an artist, Jay, what do you think, man? I mean, like, because I've been around you so long, I'm, I take it for granted sometimes that. You can do all the things, you know? No, just everything you're saying is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like the one, the one thing that came to mind while you were talking was just like, you know, our audacity um, and looking back and, and thanking our 20 something year old selves for having that. We've talked about even, you know, both of us kind of chasing that, that part of ourselves too. I think that what we create is is ever evolving, not to be cliche, but because we're we're ever evolving and we're trying to share that with each other and level each other up. There is a desire and I don't know, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say a healthy competition, maybe. It's more like if he can help me or if I can help him, then we help ourselves. Or if I can help myself, then I'm going to help the collaboration. You know, it's like rising tide, right? Rising tide, rising tide, man, rising tide. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. I don't compete with him, but, but his work and his work ethic and and his (laughs) his thought process behind his work inspires me. How about that? Right. So like if, and I tell you, me, when we first started, I tell I tell people this all the time. My whole mm-hmm. people always say, like, Jay, you've written all this stuff, you've done all this work. Thanks to Jason Griffin. So, like my my, my work ethic, right? Um had, was was activated, if not overloaded, by working mm-hmm. with Jason Griffin. Because when we were young and we were living together, you know, I would be working, it'd be like nine o'clock at night, 
We working, 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 have a bag of chips for dinner, drink a 40 <laughs> ounce, right? Like that's what it was, right? And then, and you know, and then around like midnight. Barbecue chips. Around, yeah, you know, around midnight, my eyes are a little heavy, but Jason's in the kitchen on, on, on the floor, in, on the kitchen floor, and he's painting, right? He's got mm-hmm. his, got his mm-hmm. headphones on or he's listening to music and he's just doing his thing, but it's midnight and I'm looking at him and he don't seem tired. I'm a little tired. Okay. And one o'clock comes and he's just, and I'm like, okay, he don't seem tired yet but I'm really tired now. Okay, Jay, I'm gonna go to bed. I wake up in the morning and he's already down there. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, there's no way that this person can work this hard on something that we don't even know is, is, is going to bear fruit. But he's just pouring into it, faithful to, the, faithful to the process in a way that no one I've ever seen. And so what did I have to do? I had to tighten up because I refused to be outworked, mm-hmm. right? And so then I started doing the same thing. And now 20 years later, this is what it looks like, you know? And we're talking about a guy who created a thousand pieces of art. So you could pick 380 for Ain't Burned All the Bright. I mean, that <laughs> that's not nothing. And I want to point out, too, that you were using the pocket-sized moleskins for yeah. each piece of art. And yet that book, all of the work in that book feels much bigger than a pocket-sized moleskin mm. with lines on it. And I love the fact that you used the line. I mean, it, how many of us were running around, you know, destroying notebooks whether it was doodling or drawing or poems or lyrics or what have you. So the idea that that was what you used for that book and the found materials that you use for My Name is Jason, mine too, it's really exciting to see that there are genuinely no limits mm. in what you're doing. I think that's really important. Yeah, that, that push. But, you know, I also, it sounds kind of romantic or, you know, Oh, you made a thousand pieces and you chose three. Part of it is because like there's a bit of kind of stumbling into things in the studio. Most of the times I don't know what I'm doing and I use kind of the numbers game uh, as a way to keep myself loose and to keep myself um, kind of not too precious. And so, you know, again, it's like by default, you know, when Reynolds would send me something from Ain't Burned All the Bright. So he sent me a breath at a time. And in the first breath, I put up a bunch of spreads on my wall here. And I just started to almost play like a matching game where I would take an image and then I would hold it up and I would, I would have text maybe written on a piece of tape that I put on the piece. And I'd, I'd just think about it. I'd be like, mm, doesn't quite match. And then I'd maybe move it over and... You know, I'd, I'd be laying in bed at night and I'd have this idea of like the perfect piece for this one sentence in the book. I'd come in, I'd execute the piece, I put it up on the wall, I put the words on top of it, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I have enough pieces going on, I can kind of dig around my studio and I can try a different piece. I'm so much of my process is like this William Kentridge talks about uh, peripheral thinking. And I think this is a great way to describe an artist process. And he talks about stumbling through his studio. I think this guy is a master, but like, you know, there's, there is so much kind of happy accidents mm-hmm. that happen. Mm-hmm. You just kind of surprise yourself. <laughs> it also sounds like editing though, Jason. Totally. I mean, totally. Editing. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with a good ad. Ed- Everyone needs an editor. Even if you're Jason Reynolds, everyone needs an editor. Especially if you're Jason Reynolds. (laughs) Especially. (laughs) 
Can we talk about some of the artists who are not each of you that please, inspires please. you as well? I mean, <laughs> you know, there's some great work out there in the world, but who are some of the visual artists that make both of you kind of say, oh, right. Mm. That was that was that was one of my top ones for sure. William mm -hmm. Kentridge. Yep. Um, and when I get asked this question, I hope it's OK for me to also say, like, I'm very much inspired by music. Um, Absolutely. In the studio. All of it. I'm also inspired by, you know, film and television. Um, the Coen brothers are a huge inspiration. I'm trying to think what else that comes to the, comes to mind of a visual Kara Walker is a big, she's a big influence. Barkley Hendricks, when it comes to like portraiture, Carrie James Marshall is like tops for me. He's like, I went and saw his show at the Whitney and it's just like his understanding of how to move around a painting uh, is incredible. His compositions, use of color, incredible. What about you, Jay? Oof, so many people. I mean, I think about, for different reasons, I mean, I love uh, Bisa Butler. I think that um, the idea of using fabric, I mean, Jason did had a whole period of his life where he just used paper. Uh, and I, I like people who are you who are making pa paintings without paint um, mm -hmm. because I, because I think there's there's something in that for me to learn from in terms of like how do you tell a story without having to tell the story? It all translates to a certain kind of inference to me. Uh, so I love Bisa. I love uh, Fahamu Peku. I think he's fascinating because he paints himself over and over and over again. But he but he would tell you that they're not self portraits. He just uses himself as the model, and mm -hmm. that is what I do in my stories, right? These are stories that I use myself and I use my experiences and my background and my childhood and my friends only as avatar, only as sort of the, the symbols to put forth to create whole worlds that have nothing to do with me. Um, and I think he's the master of that. I, I love, uh, because of Jason, I love Alphonse Mucha um, because of the idea around line weight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I think about what that means in my own work, right? How some lines are to be heavy and some lines are to be light. That's all of my writing is about that, right? Like mod moderating line weight. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, so I think about Alphonse Mucha, I think about, I mean, like there's so, uh, you know, these young artists that I love, like Gio Swaby and, and, and I mean, like these young geniuses that are coming up, Gio Swaby uses just needle and thread or, or Yo-Yo Lander who uses a sort of fresh form of mosaic work, right? I mean, there's, I mean, Deborah Roberts, who I, I think is the, one of the greatest collage artists of our time. All these people, you know, and then Jason, of course, I, I happen to be around him and, and, and gotten to come up, see all the versions of his work, you know, and I've got my favorites, right? I've got my favorites of, of, of all of his styles, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I respect, but I respect his dexterity and that's who I want to be, right? As a writer is dexterous. And the same with music and movies, right? I mean, what, what, is there a better song than Vienna? I don't know for me. Right? Is there a better song than Fast Car? I'm not sure. These are quiet tales. Tracy Chapman. Right? These are narrative. These are narrative, narrative songs. Right? That mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if anybody's gonna be able to outright Tracy Chapman or Billy Joel or, or I'm not sure. You know, and I listen to that music all the time and all the rap music that inspires me and the funk music. Would there ever be a baseline like like slipping into darkness? I'm not sure. Ooh. Right? Like, I don't mm -hmm. know. Would there be a song mm -hmm. as sweet as The Makings of You by Curtis Mayfield? I don't know. Right? So, like, the, all of these things are things that influence me every single day. I love the fact that you're talking about textiles and mosaics because those are things that were typically created, sort of 
treated like crafts mm-hmm. and they were women's work mm-hmm. and that they were not in fact art. And when you look at something like the Alexander McQueen show that the Met did a while ago, like, that clothing is sculpture. That is, that is and the masks and the Jeez. shoes and everything, but the construction and we don't think I also say this is a knitter because when you're knitting, you get a thing in 3D when you're done. It's a 3D thing. Mm-hmm. And it changes the way you respond to the thing that's in your hands. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, you can undo it and, <laughs> and recycle. Absolutely. And you don't have to have the ugly thing out in the world, but you can <sighs> test a theory with two sticks and string, right? Mm. And then you move on. But we have such rigid ideas of what's supposed to be high art and what's not supposed to be art and what. Oh, you got that right. Right. And I just mm-hmm. want to see the sheer joy, even when we're talking about tough things. Right. Even when we're talking about the pain that comes with just life. I mean, we live in complicated times, you know, although I guess humans have always lived in complicated times. But I happen to be <laughs> alive in this complicated time. So it feels right. more complicated than most. But the idea that you can take whatever materials you have, whether it's cloth or house paint or pencil, I love a good pencil, a good sharp pencil, I am happy. (laughs) I really don't need much more than that. And Jason, you were, it was an earlier interview where you said you had sort of restarted your work process early in the pandemic by using paper and pencil, that you needed something like that to really sit and reconnect with the words themselves. Yeah, I needed tactility. I, 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 and and I still am. That's where I am, and that's probably where I'm going to stay for the next mm-hmm. however many years. I, I, um, when the computer became uh, an obligation for all things, I could no longer do the one thing that is mine on the computer. Mm-hmm. Right? It robbed it robbed me of mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I went back to the to the to the pad to the paper. And my brain began to work again. And, and that's where I, I'm still on the paper. And it's it's amazing. Um, and it makes me happy again. And it feels good again. Mm-hmm. And it feels like I'm creating, because I'm also a nerd and I'm, I'm an archivist nerd. And so it also feels like I'm creating uh, an archive and I'm creating objects that I can give and leave, um, you know, evidence of my existence and in a different way, you know. I think it's important to have, too, because, you know, we've all got those old floppy disks that <laughs> no one has any way to play them. I, I would anyway. Rather, you know, I have some of my mother's old sketchbooks from when she was a student wow. at Parsons, and I can see the evolution of my mother's style. It's amazing. I, I can also see how it influenced her clothing and how our houses were done and how she dressed my brother. And all. <laughs> That's all of those things. And I and I absolutely I love it to bits and you know the paper has gotten really stiff and really hard and it's you know you have to treat it with a little bit of care but to see the evolution of a person yes Mm. so fascinating Mm. to see their handwriting yeah right wild it's wild to see handwriting you know we need to start teaching handwriting again. Um, you do. Jason Griffin. That's a, whole other, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> uh, I know. I know you have tiny people, but, you know, I, I do appreciate pretty handwriting. And I'm not, you know, I've got older people in my family who do that perfect cursive that they yeah. were taught. I At this point, I'd settle for legible. <laughs> yeah. But, you know what? My handwriting is terrible. And really? it's terrible. And guess what else it is? It's mine. Yep. It's, it's a fingerprint. It's mine. It's only mine. Right. 
And so I'm even okay with the mess that it is, the scratch that it is, mm-hmm. because when I'm out of here, there will be no mistaking it. It belongs right. to me. It belongs to me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> My I got dude. boxes and boxes and boxes of sketches and things. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Every so once in a while, I'll pull out. I'll be like, oh, Jay. <laughs> I, I, like, I can tell your handwriting <laughs> like that. <laughs> you know, it's cool. Do you have favorite moments from My Name is Jason, mine too? There's a moment in the process. Not, not a, The book itself, uh, I don't remember so much of the book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, as like the art of the book. But but I'll never forget the process in making it. But, but that particular editor, we were just told to make. To, and we, you know, I know this is a, it gets complicated, but we we will say her name because she did, her name deserves to be said. And it's Joanna Kotler, um, mm-hmm. who, who, who is Jason still very close to and as a mentor to him and, and, and changed both of our lives. But she gave mm-hmm. me the best advice that I'll ever have. Yeah. Uh, she she was the one who knew I'd be an, a novelist before I did. And she told me that my intuition will take me farther than my education ever will. And I remember that conversation like yesterday. That's for Shout sure. out to Joanna Collar. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Joanna Collar. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joanna. Yeah. <laughs> the, the gem dropper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dropping so, gems. Jason Reynolds, I know you're working on an adult novel, which I will sit very quietly and patiently and wait for. Sure. When I'm it comes, it comes. When it comes, it comes. But Jason Griffin, what are you working on now? Where can people find you? Where can they see your work? I am working on paintings. I'm still collaborating. I collaborate with uh, my studio mate, Chris Bailey. I, I collaborate with my friend Travis Linquist in Brooklyn, or actually he's in the city now, Stephen DeLute in The Hague. Um, and we're we're trying to put some stuff together. We're kind of in like incubator phases right now of like, you know, we just finished this big project. Ain't Burned All the Bright was a big one. Um, a lot of work went into that. And kind of coming out of it, I tried to reserve that question, what's next, and just give myself a chance to explore. And so, I mean, I... You can kind of see there's a lot going on in my studio right now. Uh, There's like new projects started everywhere, you know, just messing around with different things, different textures. This is made with spackle and spray paint. But I'm definitely just like feeling around, you know, just kind of like seeing where it takes me. This is like my this is like my diary in here. And I'm just taking notes right now. Jay and I are going to drop some prints from the book Uh, because a lot of people have been asking about artwork from the book. And I don't want to part with any of the original artwork. Mm -hmm. That's got to, you know, that's got to be archived and and saved forever. Yeah, just uh, keeping it loose, keeping it, you know, trying to do what me and Jay are talking about of like, you know, constantly pushing what's next. You know, I, I went from kind of almost a year working in almost exclusively moleskins with materials that you would find around the house. Cause that was super conducive to being in COVID and being in quarantine. And so my first inclination coming out of that stretch was like, I want to work big. And so I did, I started to work big and then it kind of like a jellyfish, it like expands and contracts. And then I went back to super small um, and then I started playing around digitally on the iPad and, and then I started sculpting some things. So I'm kind of in like the mad scientist mode right now. 
It sounds really good. Mad scientist mode. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the best way to describe him. Sheesh. Okay, mad scientist. Mad scientist one, mad scientist two. I think that's probably the best place to end because we could keep going for a really long time. But the one thing I do want to shout out on both Ain't Burned All the Bright and My Name is Jason, mine too. The publisher's done something really smart with both of these books and the age range on both of them is 12 to 99. So for those of you who are no longer part of the short set, I really, really want you to pick these up because there's a lot. There's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of growth and movement and change. And they're just really beautiful, beautiful books. Even if you didn't quite reinvent what a book is supposed to be, that's okay. Other people have tried to. They're really, really beautiful. So thank you, Jason Reynolds. Thank you, Jason Griffin. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, readers. It's time for another TBR Top Off, where we recommend books to pick up when you stop in for your copy of My Name is Jason, Mine Too. I'm Mark. I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble store in Cincinnati, and I am joined by my buddy, Becky. Hello, Becky. Hello. So we've got a couple of books to talk about today. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. The one that I chose um, makes me laugh out loud. Uh, I can open to any page and have a great time. It is a book called God Level Knowledge Darts by Jesus and Mero. Uh, These guys, uh, you may recognize from their Bodega Boys podcast. They also have a late night show on Showtime. And really every experience with this, these two amazing fellows are always funny. Um, their podcast, their show, this book, all feels like you are eavesdropping on a conversation between two buddies who can't just stop talking to each other about the most inane and amazing subjects. So they both grew up in the Bronx. They met in summer school and have had this long-held, very fast friendship that developed into this almost telepathic shorthand communication um, where they not necessarily finish each other's sentences, but they just are on the same page so perfectly well. And it brings up all of these feelings of those very best friends that I think anybody can relate to. Um, The book is peppered with all kinds of topics. So they talk about drug use. They talk about toxic masculinity. They talk about relationships. They talk about crime, uh, pretty much everything under the sun. And it's told in their very, very funny way. Um, I love these guys so much. They're so much fun. Um, And they also have this really great frankness about the way that they approach subjects. They don't shy away from topics at all. um, But you can at least be assured that there will be some sort of belly laugh involved at whatever topic they veer towards. So please, please check out um, God Level Knowledge Starts by Jesus and Nero. Uh, Becky, do you have one for us? I, I definitely do. It doesn't have a cool title like um, God Level Knowledge Darts. I, I love <laughs> that title. I'm, I just can't get past that. It's so good. <laughs> um, I also, I do have to say, though, we are, again, like-minded in what we chose because I also went with a book by two friends who do a podcast. Ah, so, uh, yeah, crazy. Um, anyway, so the book that I chose is called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. Uh, by Aminatou So and Ann Friedman. And uh, you may know them from the Call Your Girlfriend podcast that ran from 2014 until actually just the beginning of this year. 
but um, it's this is just a great book. It's um, it follows their relationship from becoming friends, um, basically the first decade of their friendship, and um, it talks about the highs and the lows, and um, and it really just discusses what it is to be a long term big friendship. Uh, so what they, what they're talking about with big friendship is 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 long term is something that extends beyond you know location beyond similar life uh, cycles or or anything like that. It's it's a long term relationship, and it really fills a hole a gap. I think that is um, that you can find in in relationship books. A lot of them are about those romantic relationships that we're all looking for, hoping for, and um, there aren't a lot of books about just a plus platonic friendship. And this book definitely is fantastic in kind of, you know, just talking about sometimes you have to fight for it. Sometimes you really just, you need to make the time, you need to put in the work. Um, But then the rewards are fantastic. So uh, these two have been friends for a long time. They moved across the country from each other. And actually that's what spurred their podcast to start. It was just their weekly catch up phone calls. And um, so, yeah, so the book is just kind of continues with that. If you're familiar with their podcast, you're going to definitely love the book. But even if you're not, if you just want to kind of know a little bit more about what it is, what it takes to really kind of develop and and hold on to those friendships uh, beyond <laughs> anything, you know, that life may throw at you. Uh, Big Friendships is a fantastic read. So um, I think that's it. Oh, oh my that gosh. Is it. And <laughs> what a perfect episode, too, because Becky and I have known each other for a very long time. Very long time. Um, we have. A decade plus in various so. Barnes and Noble stores and yeah. we're fast friends pretty much moment one. Yes. So what a perfect episode for us it to be a great. part of. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening to and watching Poured Over. Please make sure to support us with a rating and a subscription. And you can follow us at Barnes & Noble. My name is Mark, and you can follow my home store at BN Westchester. I am joined by... Becky. Who is incredible, and I love her so very <laughs> oh much. Oh, my God. Love you, too. Uh, you're the best. Thank you, everybody. Happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. Bye. Board Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.